0: The following message was recorded Sunday, October 15th, 2023. J.M. Macaulay shares on the holiness of God and what does that mean for the believer? And now, here's John Michael. So Wednesday, we did a word study. Uh, We took one single word and we kind of tore it apart to figure out where it lands in Scripture. Today, we're going to do another word study, but we're not going to tear it apart. We're actually going to find out what it means and means to us in our lives. So... we're going to look at the word holy and we're going to find out when, where, and most importantly, it's used in scripture. Can you turn that down just a tad? Thank you. It's feeding back to me. Great, great. The word is holy. All right. So um, the Hebrew word is kadosh. um, And in in Greek, it's hagios. You've heard both of these in the past. If you've sat in here under Pastor Ritt any length of time, uh, we looked at those words uh, many times. Uh, It's an adjective. Adjectives are words that describe something or someone. Some adjectives describe qualities like holier or holiest. There are times when they are paired with or preceded by an adverb, as in most holy, more holy, or holiest. Its usage in scripture falls into the hundreds, as every translation has at least 500 instances. Uh, Our New King James Version is at 510. Uh, Leviticus takes the top marks at 77 instances. Isaiah and Exodus round out the top three. You've heard others mention trisagion. Uh, That's the threefold use of the word holy, as in holy, 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 found only in two places in Scripture, Isaiah and Revelation. And after I started studying, I found myself mispronouncing it. Uh, We fall to what we have in the first syllable indicating uh, the number three, as in try, right? Uh, triune, tricycle, trifecta, things like that. However, the first syllable, as correctly defined, the pronunciation is tris. So it's trisagion, trisagion, not trisagion, trisagion. So again, maybe you weren't mispronouncing it, but I found myself doing that. And there's an importance in scripture when something is mentioned multiple times. Looking at twice mentioned, we see things like verily, verily, wherein Jesus is saying, hey, pay attention here. And as a total, we have only four times in Scripture when the word is used twice. We have verily, verily, Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham, and Saul, Saul. Interesting, Those are the only times they're used twice are names, right? So if somebody wants to dig that out, they can do that. So being holy is used three times and implies it's profoundly important. The word holy is the single most important attribute of God. So I needed to, myself, while it's not scriptural as in chapter and verse, man has, I think, correctly ascribed three P words to each of those, holy power, holy preeminence, and holy perfection. Uh, That was pretty well done. So that's the nuts and bolts of the word, but we're going to go well, well beyond that, okay? So primarily, we'll look at the singularity of the word holy and hope it fits in or melds as part of the focus in our relationship with a holy God. I asked a few people if they could define or if they understood the word holy. None did. So I either asked the wrong people, or there's a dearth of knowledge or understanding of what it actually is. Holiness is a general expression of the Christian life. That's very simplistic. True, but very simplistic. Probably even a bit shallow as well. I knew it involved me personally, but I could not truly or satisfactorily define it. I knew the verse, be holy as I am holy, but was not feeling very holy at the time. I know we're supposed to make the Sabbath holy, treat it differently, but simply resting, not working and such, did not make me feel or help me define holiness. Most Christians have what we would address or define as cultural holiness, wherein we adopt or mimic the character or behavior patterns of Christians around us. The ongoing view of the church being full of hypocrites is because we have lost our understanding of holiness. We still cling to it as being some aspect of our lives that entails moral or legalistic prohibitions such as drinking, dancing, playing cards, sexual purity, financial honesty. But if we look at the dominations, we see a string of defined or judgmentally suggested do's and don'ts. If you fall completely to that expression, you end up in a works relationship. God has not called us to be like other Christians. He's called us to be like him. Holiness begins not with ourselves, but with God. I think we have not given holiness the place that God gives it. So as I needed to know and understand the word holy, it was a process that took me to books and blogs and messages and of course, the word. I'm a saved man, I'm obedient. Okay, not always, as I'm a sinner, but as I chose this word holy to study, I'm painfully aware that I did not know how to define it. And if I can't verbalize it, and where, then where is my confidence that I can live it out? <clears throat> Make sense? But something, uh, the entire foray into holiness came about because a message Pastor Darren delivered last year he did not even spend a lot of time there, but something clicked in my head and my heart, and I was conflicted and convicted. I was very unsettled for a long period of the time after that night. I simply realized I did not understand what was required of me, how and where holy fits into my personal walk with my Savior. All right, so you ready? All right, our first stop is 1 Peter chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to go through uh, a couple of verses right here in First Peter, and we'll look at a couple of words here and kind of uh, start building a foundation as to where we might be going. First Peter, chapter 1. we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. A couple of page turners still going. It's on page 1902 if you're lost. Okay. All right, so chapter 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at this revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so that first comment, gird up, is to be prepared. Um, Back in the biblical times, if you uh, were out almost every day, but even if you were a, a soldier... You wore something akin to a, a skirt, if you will, I'm sorry, <laughs> or a, some sort of longish robe, but you would gird it up and tuck it into your belt if you were gonna be running or have to get in, into battle. <clears throat> the next word is sober. Uh, now I'm not implying the opposite, the opposite of inebriation, but it resolves out to being calm or collected in spirit. And then your hope. We've unpacked this in this sanctuary countless times. The implication is to wait for your salvation with joy and full of confidence, a biblical hope. The definition I use is the expectation of a future certainty. So verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts or desires, as in your ignorance. So as obedient. So we'll dig this out much more deeply, but this word is at the core of holiness. Holiness. But it is used, as it's used here, in obedience or compliance shown in observing the requirements of Christianity. Conforming, that word there, conforming, interestingly, you'd expect the word conform or conforming to be used more than twice in the New Testament, but as it is used here, is to conform fashion or, fashion or oneself. It seems like we talk about conforming ourselves often enough. Uh, relative to its being used only twice in Scripture, right? We talk about conforming, but it's only used two times in Scripture. It's used here in 1 Peter and again in Romans 12, where it's very appropriate to our discussion. We can't mistakenly ascribe this conformity to the thing it's not. When I mention cultural Christianity, wherein we mimic others around us who may or not be living a surrendered or holy life, those who are those are not the attributes we should conform to or adopt so let's go to romans 12 12:2 12, <clears throat> Romans 12 two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. This verse encourages us to resist the temptation to conform to the ways of the world as in cultural Christianity and instead focus on renewing our minds through God's word. I'm going to digress. Just step back for just a second um, to help us divine this cultural Christianity a little more. George Barnett did a poll some years ago and defined what he called casual Christianity versus captive Christianity. And I picked three of them for us. So, casual Christianity the lives of casual Christians are defined by the desire to please God, family, other people, while extracting as much enjoyment and comfort from the world. That's a casual Christian. The captive Christian, the lives of captain Christian, captive Christians are defined by their faith. Their worldview is built around the core, spiritual beliefs, and resultant values. They have a biblical worldview. So you see the difference there? So casual Christian again, success is balancing everything just right so that they are able to maximize their opportunities and joys in life without undermining their perceived relationship with God and others. I know a few people like that. For captive Christians... Success is obedience to God as demonstrated by consistently serving Christ and carrying out his commands and principles. One more. Casuals are all about moderation in all things. Captive Christians are all about extreme devotion to their God regarding, regardless of the worldly consequences. So you can see the difference right there. We don't want to be part of the, the cultural Christianity. So, we can take this cultural Christianity as defined by Barnum, Barna, and our moniker of cultural Christianity, and and end up with two sides of the same coin. His word provides us with a better understanding of his will and how we are to live it out. The verse, as interpreted by me and for me, is a call to live a life that is pleasing to God, rather than one that is focused on worldly desires, a life not simply adopting the culture of Christianity. Go back to first Peter verse fifteen. Where are we at? First Peter one, verse fifteen. <clears throat> <clears throat> but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Holy is strong concordance, G40, pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonially consecrated. And my favorite right here is, set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. That's where I want to be. The exact phrase, be holy, for I am holy, is only used twice in the entirety of Scripture. It shows up as hagios, which we talked about earlier, in the Greek and the New Testament, And in Leviticus, which we said was the most usage of the word holy, it is the only other occurrence in the statement, be holy for I am holy, and is translated as kadosh in Hebrew. We sing that uh, during Passover, the resurrection. We had that one in kadosh, holy, holy, holy. We must consider the holiness of Christ. That verse we just looked at in 1 Peter, be holy for I am holy. The more I, maybe we, look at the more I see my sinfulness. I personally stepped into the sin of worry while going through our trial. Some of you understand what that's all about. I was not feeling very holy. 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is lawlessness. I had defected from God's standards. God allowed me to see my sin by slowly peeling away the security that I had manufactured over the years. The sin was pride of life. In this, I became very concerned about where I was. Incessant introspection and worry became powerful tools of the great deceiver and accuser. One of his primary tools is discouragement, and I was. The word pulled me out after God allowed me to see my sin, and one morning after men's study, I prayed David, David's prayer. Turn to Psalm 139. If you're not attending Saturday morning men's study, I really, really encourage you to be out there with the guys. There's uh, some pretty powerful things that get taking place up there on Saturday mornings. Yeah, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, but it's worth it. All right, so Psalm 26.2. <clears throat> oh God, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my heart and know my anxieties or my disquieting thoughts, and see if there is any wicked way in me and my heart. The word prove there is to try try or test. No one saw me or called me out. God had to strip away enough until I was aware of my own transgressions. Romans 6.12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. A footnote in my Bible under that verse says, we must either dethrone sin or obey its evil desires. The spirit of holiness provided me with Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through parents supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. I had to have a lot of my thought processes and propensity for self-indulgence stripped away. Self-denial, you don't hear that word much these days. It's all about self-indulgence, right? This sounds like I'm unloading, confessing my sin, maybe so, but not that I want your pity or even your thinking less of me for not falling for falling into sin and how ghost it is for me to stand up here as a leader and confess my sin. I'm saying it loud because I was blind to it. I don't want you to suffer from it. And perhaps not the pride of life, but some other sin not seen by others, or in my case, not seen by those who are really close to me. I now I cry out for holiness. I cry out David's prayer, Search me, O God, and see. Proverbs 21, 2. Every man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. <clears throat> Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitfully above all. Is, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I normally don't quote other translations, but the New Living Translation says this in a way more casually, with conversational type of verbiage that we might use, and it's completely and utterly true. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? I think that's a really good translation. I can't see or know your heart. Whatever wickedness is in your, our hearts, God sees it, and it's impediment to your holiness as we try to live. I grossly misunderstood the test before me as God was trying to help me become more Christ-like and holy, and I got pruned. I'm now seeing life differently and cry out to lead a more holy life, Ask God to reveal to you what a trusting heart is. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. 5 verse 16 All right 5:16 walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh verse 17For the flesh the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Note that's a capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. Or as I've begun to pray and speak of him, Spirit of Holiness. The Holy Spirit is interested in you and me being holy. We are sitting here in, this morning in vessels that are in conflict or contrary to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Holiness. Christian life equals accept Christ and you get what you want. That's the fallacy of the modern gospel. When the reality is you don't get what you want. Still in Galatians, look at verse 19 and 20. <clears throat> it's a list of what might be evident or blatant. We are in the flesh. We must deny ourselves. Again, self denial, not self indulgent. Look at verse 20, that first word idolatry. That's anything you desire to put before God, that includes our spouse. Our children, our jobs, our stuff, it's all idolatry. In the apostate church here, or Christian light, or as we looked at a moment ago, casual Christianity, you'll find folks sitting in this church today who are engaged in allowing any of these items listed in verse 19 through 21 into their lives but feel compelled to perform the cursory check the box on Sunday. And expect to get their their ticket punched on the day of demise and will suddenly hear, depart from me. Make sure that your life is not characterized by anything on those lists. Again, self-denial of this list or anything we replace or prescribed holiness with prescribed holiness is sin. Go to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 24. All right, 16:24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, "If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Again. Self-denial. This verse is directly opposed to the modern gospel, where God has a wonderful plan for your life. And he does, but it's not the easy-peasy, genie-in-a-bottle prosperity gospel. That's not what it is. Look at verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, self-denial, not self-indulgence. Go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 we're going to look at verse 25 okay verse 25 for whoever desires to save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life, I'm sorry, I already just said that, Uh, Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in some manner, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The word exhort can be defined for us here as strongly encourage or urge someone to do something, Uh, admonish, encourage, strengthen, provide, console, if there's something you place before this time, it may be adult it may be idolatry. It may be. Again, it's self denial before indulgence before self indulgence. Turn to Matthew sixteen, twenty three. Jump around a little bit. Matthew 16, 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Here it is. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. Oh, my gosh. Jesus called Peter or Satan an offense. I would never want Jesus to call me (laughs) as an offense. But I'm human and a sinner. Peter was admonished for aligning himself with Satan's plan to deter Jesus from the cross. Look at verse twenty-four. Then he said to them, "If anyone desires to come to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." Again, it's self-denial, not self-indulgent. Matthew seven. Let's go to Matthew seven. I promise you we'll talk about holiness in a bit. <laughs> All right, so Matthew seven, thirteen and fourteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go who many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Holiness is not the easy-peasy, checkbox Christianity. It takes self-denial, denial Denial of self. Narrow is the gate. Church attendance, your giving, your service, those take self-denial. I promise you one thing. The ongoing requirement of self-denial will stop after you die. Uh, And there's a saying, the crown comes after the cross. The habits of our old nature plus the attacks by Satan are at times too much for us to persevere through, unless unless the Holy Spirit or the spirit of holiness is at work in us to create the desire for holiness. I saw a wonderful sign outside a church in our area. If your faith doesn't change your behaviors, it isn't going to change your your destiny. I'll repeat that. If your faith doesn't change your behaviors, it isn't going to change your destiny. Simple statement, but enormously true. And present in today's world of easy believism, apostasy, false gospel, worthless salvation, all of which are growing exponentially. We have to count on prayer and supplication via the Spirit of Holiness to show us God's standard of holiness found all through scripture. Go to Romans 7:12. You didn't know we were going to have Bible drills this morning, right? Romans 7. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. The law is fundamentally good. The law exposes our sin, the sin via Satan that deceives and kills. Look at verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Read verse 7 through 14, and you'll see Paul realized he was a sinner and worthy of death. Try keeping the law on your own without the spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, and you will fail. The spirit of holiness is fundamental to and in the word. We can't pray for victory over sin and not be in or careless with the word. That's antithetical. They don't jive. However, it's not entirely one-sided. Go to Romans 8.13. Praise God for Romans 8. Romans 8.13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit of holiness, but if by the spirit of holiness you you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the impetus is on us to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. God places that responsibility, living a holy life, a holy walk, on us. Go to Colossians three five. Colossians, ready. Therefore, you put to death your member, your members, which are on the earth, fornication. Uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry or pride of life, that's emphasized as my sin. If you read that again and insert the word you, you put to death your members. This is something we are told to do. We are commanded to assume the responsibility for a holy life, a holy walk. Hebrews 12:1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us clearly. We are expected, as individuals, to run the Christian race. Drafting this message has been very cathartic for me, to stand up here on a Sunday morning and speak about my own wickedness, if you will, or sin, and plead with you to do the same, to cry out, Search me, O God, and see if there's anything that you want to show me. I speak of holiness as a trait I want to be associated with. I openly acknowledge and verbalize some of you as holy, I would not characterize myself as such just yet as I have to look at the man in the mirror but understand that a huge part of the battle has been won and already I find myself on a new road and I have great hope. The spirit of holiness has placed in me a great and prevailing desire for holiness. The one defining word for me in my search for how to define and live a holy life was obedience. Again, the one defining word for me in my search for how to define and live a holy life is obedience. Some applicable verses that are uh, not defined so much, but it's a solid reason to adopt obedience. And I'll mention the verse if you want to jot them down. Obedience to God provides uh, proves obedience to God proves our love for Him. I put down 1 John 5, 2, and 3. Obedience demonstrates our faithfulness to him. I put down 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Obedience glorifies him in the world. Amen. 1 Peter 2, 12. And obedience opens up avenues of blessings for us. The adoption or growth of obedience in my own lives, or our lives, as it applies to our greater holiness, is all on us. As individuals. We have to change to accommodate this call to obedience. I can say there's a lot to change if I am to become more holy. Irrespective of how you see me, is how God sees me, and my desire to change and become more obedient. There may be things we have to change in our relationships as well as our actions to help us grow in holiness. We need to remove people, places, and things that are contrary to God. That sounds harsh, right? Remove people, places, and things? We need to remove all avenues of temptation. If I struggled with gluttony, I might have to remove the donut shop as a place to work, study, or even fellowship. Sure, I can go and just enjoy the smells, but why tempt myself? If I have a friend who has a propensity for gossip, I would need to speak with him and or break fellowship. We have to be able to sever or rebuke any relationship that is an avenue of sin for us. If if we were together and you drink, and I don't, I used to, but I don't, why would I expose myself to that? If you drink, that's fine, as long as you don't cross that line and have too much. I will say that the state has clearly defined what too much is, so maybe you should invest in a breathalyzer. (laughs) I'd say turn there, but you probably know Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of or with sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That, my brothers and sisters, is what obedience is. That is holiness. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Make no provisions for the flesh. You want to see an example of this? Go to Acts 19, 19. People making no provisions for the flesh, Acts 19, 19. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. They destroyed that which became a known impediment to their walk, to the tune of $50,000, 50,000 pieces of silver. Go to Romans 8, back to Romans again, Uh, just a, a few chapters over. I'm sorry, you were an act, so it's a book over. Romans 8. Verse 12, 12 through 14. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That is a capital S on there. It's the Holy Spirit. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. Go to Titus. Titus 2. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Self-denial, not self-indulgence. So what happens then is people will call you legalistic. What, you won't go to the donut shop? There's no sin in that. Well, you won't have a beer? There's no sin in that. It's not legalism, it's obedience. And that's fundamental to holiness. Anything that's an impediment to my or our holiness should be removed. If I had not, I had not given holiness the place that God gives it. I understand now that I, we, must, as is our calling, place holiness before everything else. I pray for even more understanding as his wisdom to comprehend exactly what holiness is, as it applies to my life. Let us ask God to show us what holiness is, his first, then ours. It's the one thing he wants to see in us, his own image and likeness. Be holy because I am holy. We need holiness so as to see his holiness. You get that? We need holiness so we can see his holiness. Our lack or paltry, superficial holiness is an impediment to seeing His glory. He is inviting us to share in His likeness. We should now cry out to Him Show us the glory of your holiness so that we can be made willing to give everything to respond to this call. Go to Ephesians, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verse 4, just as he chose us, that's you and me, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. He chose us, that's you and me, in him before the foundation of the world. You realize that we're acknowledging predestination in that verse. He chose you to be holy before the foundation of the world. That's an extraordinary concept to muse. Imagine that before you were born, he chose you to be holy. If we believe he is coming again, and we all do, and we sense that it is soon based on the truth of the prophetic word, we must be found ready. We must be living obedient, holy lives. The doctor of imminence says that he is coming soon. The warnings are clear, relevant, and applicable to all of us. Behold, I am coming quickly, Revelation 3.11. For the time is at hand, Revelation 22.10. Surely I am coming quickly, amen, and even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, Revelation 22.20. So all that was written in the 90s, not 1990. 2,000 years ago, so quickly seems incongruent. But when we see the times present falling into place prophetically, one must, assess the, must sense the imminency of his return. God has called every believer to a holy life. There are no exceptions to this call. Our reflected holiness is or should be a signpost as to the assurance of our salvation. Our lives should demonstrate the fruits of faith. And remember, He is called the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Holiness. Obedience leads to holiness. That's the word, obedience. Obedience leads to holiness. If I ever asked again regarding what is or how you define holiness, I'll answer obedience. Hopefully, demonstrate obedience that they can be that, it, that can be seen. That's basically all I have. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray real quick. And then I'm going to play a song, but Nathan's not going to come out and play the song. I have something for us this evening, this afternoon, this morning. And um, if somebody, I'll pray, and I'll pause for a minute if somebody else wanted to pray. And um, after the song is over, let's just quietly and reverently just leave the sanctuary. Let's go out back and fellowship out there, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your message, Lord. I thank for what you have and continue to do in my life as it applies to obedience and to holiness. I thank you for stripping away the pride of life from me, Lord. And if there's any one of my brothers and sisters here or over the Internet that uh, may be suffering from this, Lord, it's a life that I created under my own power, Lord, and it was an offense to you. It looked good on the outside, but inside... I was not where I needed to be. So I thank you for stripping away my comfort, Lord. Before, Lord Jesus, any of our brothers and sisters here, Lord, I hope that um, they walk away with the word obedience, Lord, for obedience leads to holiness, Lord. So I give you thanks and praise for the message this morning, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Short time that it is, Lord, but it's not the duration that we have to look about it. It's the message and what we can take away in our hearts, Lord. We give you thanks and praise. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.